this, we've been um, in and out of a series on Proverbs, and tonight, this is our last normal RUF, we're actually doing, uh, next week is one of my favorite RUFs that we do, we just call it Senior Share Night, which isn't the most original name in the world, but uh, what we do is we have seniors, uh, senior, if you're a senior, raise your hand, so these seniors will be, share, will be hopefully sharing just what Jesus has taught them in their time at USC and in RUF. So please make it out for that. It'll be like a normal RUF, except that instead of a sermon, there'll be that part. Um, but what I want to talk about tonight is our, as we close out our Proverbs series, the thing that I really wanted to get at before we finished it was thinking about the will of God. It's, for some of you, it's a hot topic because you literally are trying to figure out what to do with your life. For, other, for others of you, it's maybe not as pressing uh, right now, but it, certainly you can relate, maybe even senior in high school, or maybe there is something in your life that is a pressing question. How do we know what God's will for us is? And I want to kind of look at the wisdom that Proverbs has for us and really kind of compare how we normally think about it to what the Bible has to say about it. So that's what we're going to do tonight, but we're going to use Proverbs 19 to do it. So you have it in your handout. I'm going to read it for us. Here's what the author of Proverbs says. Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. What is desired in a man is steadfast love, and a poor man is better than a liar. Let me pray for us, and then I want to dive in tonight. Let's pray first. So. Lord, we, uh, we do, we thank you um, that you have given us your word because you love us, because you want us to know ourselves, because you want us to know you. Lord, I pray that as we think about um, a topic for us that can be stressful, it can fill us with anxiety, that you would clearly show us from your word what you have to say to us about your will tonight, and that you would remind us of the security that we have in Christ uh, that we are, can come and not just cast our anxiety on you, but we can know that our futures are safe. We can know that our, our futures uh, are held by you who, who has loved us in ways that no one has ever loved us. Lord, would you come and, and be with us tonight, be our teacher, be our leader, be our comforter. We pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen. So I'm not sure uh, if you, like me, have been really enjoying, it's kind of like a Christian onion. It's called the Babylon Bee. And I, I just think they've been pretty much straight, just crushing it, article after article. So it's Christian satire, basically. And there was one yesterday that I loved that I thought was appropriate, and it was called, the title was, Gridlock Reached as Two Men, Both Certain God Told Them to Date the Same Girl. And here's what the article says. So stressing, stressing the precariousness of the situation, inside sources confirmed Monday that a gridlock has been reached in the social lives of David Gall, 23, and Mark Cormier, 26, as both men are absolutely 100% certain that God has personally instructed them to date local 22-year-old Stephanie Fair. I sought God's will, and he told me to date Stephanie, Gall confidently, de- confidently declared to sources. I know he did. There's not a doubt in my mind. God definitely told me to date Stephanie, Cormier similarly asserted. The signs he gave me were crystal clear. What am I supposed to do, disobey God? <laughs> Three discussion attempts between the two men have reportedly made no headway and have simply reinforced each man's belief that the other lacks godliness and is possibly being influenced by demonic forces. <laughs> At publishing time, a fourth discussion was underway, and while neither man was open to the slightest possibility that perhaps God did not tell them to date Miss Sphere, they seem to be making a bit of progress as they collectively consider re-examining the Bible's teachings on polygamy. Um, 
I love that because I think it gets at some of the confusion that maybe you have felt, certainly I've felt, when it comes to thinking about how does God, how does God show us his will? How does he direct us? How does he lead us? And I think even the way that we ask that question sometimes kind of shows the way that we perhaps wrongly think about it. But we've said this whole series that college really is this time where you're facing some big, uh, some big decisions from dating to roommates to internships to careers to even thinking about this is person, the person I'm going to marry. And if we're being honest, you and I want the same thing. We long for God just to, just to tell us, just to show us what to do, just to make our lives easy and show us exactly who we should marry, what we should major in what kind of career we should pursue, which internship we should take, where we should live after college, who we should live with. We long for him just to just show us, make it crystal clear. But if you're being honest with yourself, it doesn't take being a Christian for very long to realize and to come to, come to the realization that that's not how God works, that he doesn't spell things out for us in that way. So what I want to do tonight is we come to think about this idea of, of wisdom and God's will I really want to do three things, and I'm totally taking, stealing this, taking this from Matt Howell, my friend. Three things that I think need to happen for us to come to a settled place to biblically think about. How should we think about? What does the Bible tell us to think about this subject of God's will? First, three things that have to happen for us. First, we have to change our expectations. Second, we have to avoid the pitfalls. And then lastly, we have to pursue and work the process. So first, we have to change our expectations. Second, we have to avoid the pitfalls that most of us fall into. And then lastly, we've got to learn to work the process. I'm going to explain that as we get there. So first thing with me for a second about changing our expectations. And what's interesting is if you look at verse 20, what we wanted to say is this. Listen to advice and set and accept instruction that you may know the future. That you may know exactly what God is going to do. That you might know, if we could say it like this, the end of the story before we get there. Uh, I had a friend uh, who, growing up who did this funny thing. Every time they went to read a book, they could not finish a book unless when they started a book, they would go to the very end and read the end of the book first so that they could go back to the beginning and not have this sense of anxiety as they read it. They, they could not bear not knowing how it ended, so they always read the end first and then read the entire book. And when I think about that, that's exactly how you and I want it to be. We want God to show us the end first, and then we can get into, and then we can go into this decision that we need to make. But that's not what verse 20 says. Verse 20 20 says something. This is, if you don't get anything from tonight, this is what I want you to get. That God is far less concerned about showing you the future, and he's far more concerned about making you and about you becoming a certain kind of person. And that's why verse 20 says that you may gain wisdom in the future. Let me say that again. God is far less concerned with showing you the future. He is far more concerned with the kind of person that you're becoming. Are you becoming a person who loves him and is full and growing in wisdom? He's far more concerned about that. In other words, we want God to tell us what to do. And God, over and over again throughout your life, and he's already done it in some of your lives, is more concerned with who you're going to be. Because who you are going to be is going to shape what you're going to do. And in some ways, you're going to see, this might be disappointing to you, what you're going to do doesn't even matter. It's far more about what you're going to, who you're going to be. So let me, let's just think about it like this. We want God to tell us who we should marry. But instead, God wants us to become the kind of person 
who only marries someone who points us to Jesus and who loves Jesus more than us, the kind of person who marries wisely. We want God to tell us where to move. And it seems like God is much more concerned that we become the kind of person who heavily considers in our move the kind of church that's around that place, the kind of people of Jesus that are around that place, the opportunities in the community that we can serve and use our gifts for the kingdom in that place. Uh, we can say, okay, let's do it like this. We want God to tell us what job, what internship to take. But it seems like God is much more concerned that we're the kind of person who has courageously explored our gifts, but humbly sought community and wise counsel, older people that are older than us and love Jesus more than us, and looked at them and said, what do you, what do you see me doing? What kind of job do you see me taking? To have the, the, both the boldness to explore our gifts, but the humility to listen to wise counsel around us. In other words, God is far less concerned about showing us the future. And he's far more concerned with what he says in verse 20, that we gain wisdom for the future, if that makes any sense. Um, and this is what's interesting. This is where we can say when we, 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 we are desperate for God to tell us his will, what he's going to, but we mean by that what he's going to do. But in a, in a sense, he's already told us his will. And his will is that we grow in wisdom. His will is that we grow into the kind of person that loves him. And it's skillfully, the idea of wisdom is skillfully living to Jesus in the gray areas of life. As I was thinking about it, so I met with a friend this week who has played in bands his whole life. He, he literally, from high school age, didn't go to college. He just started playing different instruments, mainly rhythm guitar and bands. And he married older in life. And he married, his wife is actually a different kind of musician. She plays trumpet and she mainly plays in like the Florence Orchestra. So like if there's a concert in, in Florence, you know, he'll come, she'll get called in to play her trumpet piece. And I was asking, you know, which job is harder? And he was like, it's interesting, my wife, what they'll do is they'll mail her the sheet music in advance. And all she has to do is read the sheet music a couple times, show up and play her part. And in, cer- in a certain sense, her job is much easier than mine. Because my job is I get out there, I don't, he's like, I don't read music, but my job is to follow the band, follow the note, and play along as we go night after night. And I was thinking about this as I think this is a good example for me at least of how we want God's will to be versus how he wants it to be. We want God's will to be like sheet music. He just says, here it is, play it. And God seems much more interested in you learning to play along the note and the rhythm of what it means to be a grace-filled, wise person much more concerned about who you're becoming, not showing you the future. Now, if you're listening at all, you realize this is radically different than maybe what you've ever heard or how you typically think or how I typically think about God's will. Especially growing up for me, I typically thought about God's will as, as this thing he has that he wanted me to figure out. So he's got this will for my life, and my job, he's sort of, but he's kind of like keeping it from me. And my job is to like come in and like Sherlock Holmes way and like discern the clues and kind of put the pieces together. So there's a sense in which I used to think that you could be outside of God's will, or there was a sense in which, you know, there was a way in which he, he just refused to show you. But I think this kind of does two things when we begin to think, because this is not the way the Bible paints the picture. First of all, God is never in Scripture is God is portrayed as sneaky or cruel. Like when Hebrews said he has, he has spoken to us in many ways through the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us in his son, part of what Hebrews is saying is God absolutely makes crystal clear who he is and what he wants for you. And there's a sense in which we don't, we, we miss, we don't think about his will rightly. The other thing that I think we do 
is part of us thinks about God's will in that way because it kind of makes us avoid having to take responsibility for our lives. And it perpetuates this kind of Christian immaturity in us where instead of becoming a kind of person who understands and the, the, you know, the wisdom of Scripture and knows how to apply it in our lives, we kind of blame everything on God. And that brings us to some of the pitfalls. So think about here are some of the pitfalls that I think we need to avoid that certainly, if you're like me, you've fallen into. There are five of them that I want you to, to follow along with me. First is what we could simply call signs. This is where we do that thing where we make decisions based on signs. Um, rather than just making clear God's, his will to you, God carefully places little clues around, and your job is to discern them. He's kind of the Moriarty, you're the Sherlock, and you're trying to discern the clues. The problem with this is it's just not the picture of God that Scripture paints. The thing I kept thinking about today, my freshman year, I came to Carolina, and I was miserable. Like, I hated being here. I had a roommate falling out, and so I really started thinking about transferring. I'd grown up a huge Clemson fan, so I started thinking, I'm going to transfer to Clemson. As soon as I get to Clemson, my life is going to be rainbows and just unicorns and just happiness. So I remember trying to figure out how do I make this decision. It was a big decision. I'd gotten a scholarship to Carolina. And I remember one day driving around town. This was at the beginning of Christmas break my freshman year. And I remember trying to discern God's will for me. And I remember seeing Carolina stickers. And I thought, ah, I should stay. <laughs> and I remember getting behind another car. It was a Clemson sticker. I was like, ah, I should go. And literally, I remember this happened like back and forth like six times. And I was like, Jesus, why don't you just make your will clear to me? I ended up going to Clemson. I lasted for a week, and then I came home. It was pretty depressing. But sometimes we do it like that, where we, we're looking for these little signs. And, and it does. It betrays this view of God that says he's sneaky and, and hides himself. And that's just not the God of the Bible. That's actually, it, it, there are gods like that in the Bible. But they're always the gods of the culture that we're supposed to reject. God of the Bible reveals himself, but he does, he's not sneaky and cruel. So signs is one pitfall to avoid. Second, we could call it Bible roulette. This is where we do that thing where we need help making a decision. Do I take this internship or that internship? And so we randomly open the Bible, and we find, like, a verse. And so, like, imagine trying to think about, do I take this internship in Atlanta or do I take it in Greenville? And then you open the Bible, and it says, and then Judas went and hung himself. And you're like, ah. <laughs> close the Bible again. You're like, all right, let's try this again. Atlanta or Charlotte? And you open the Bible and Jesus said, go and do likewise. And you think, ah, okay, not helpful. So there's a way that, there's a way that we, I mean, this is like, this is like not how you read any books ever. Ripping, I mean, we do this a lot in Christian culture where we rip verses out of context. You know, I recently saw someone who said, I can do all things out of context through Christ who strengthens me. And we do this thing where we don't, we, you know, when we play Bible roulette, we're totally missing the point of what the Bible is. At first, it's, it's not this contextless book that we just draw, like, fortune cookie wisdom out of. Um, it's a book that's deeply about Jesus, but it's deeply about, it's a story about us as well. But it's going to take you, me and you years and years and years of studying this book. Because really, when you're studying this book, you're studying the heart of God. And it's going to take years and years of you not just being in it yourself, but also listening to people who are smarter than you and who are older than you and who, who know it better than you before you know how to skillfully apply it in your life. The story I kept thinking about in my life was when I was a, a, a junior, in, no, senior in high school, I fell head over heels for this girl who was a sophomore in high school. 
And I was trying to figure out, I was trying to, I was a Christian at this point, and I was trying in everything I could to, to figure out should I date this girl or not. I think we had started dating at this point, but our relationship was a little bit rocky. I was really possessive and jealous. I knew it was kind of bad, but I really wanted God to bless it because I really loved this girl. And so I remember being in this retreat, really praying earnestly, like, Lord, please show me. Do I date this girl? Do I not date this girl? It'd be, I was kind of doing that thing where I was like, but God, we know. You and I kind of know what I want you to say. Like, I really want to date this girl, so let's just kind of work this out. You know what I mean? Sometimes we pray, but we're really, Jesus baptized what I want to do. And I remember reading the book of Nehemiah, and my takeaway from the book of Nehemiah is it kept talking about Nehemiah's commitment to the wall. This was legit my takeaway. This is why, like, I get sometimes the whole Protestant way of reading scripture is a nightmare. Because my takeaway was, I get what you're saying, God. She is like this wall. <laughs> this is literally what I, I journaled about it. I really am trying to go back and find this journal because, man, it would be an amazing. I'm just going to read it to you one night, are you? I journaled about it. I was like, her name was Susanna. Susanna is the wall, and you've called me to stay and build this, <laughs> and build this wall. And if I had, like, said something to anybody, just, like, probably any Christian, like, not even, like, my youth group leader, probably just, like, any Christian, they would have been like, that's probably not what Nehemiah is about. <laughs> Nehemiah probably wasn't written for your high school relationship. I'm just going to put that out there. Um, but we do this thing where we're playing, we play Bible roulette instead of letting, you know, they used to say of John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, that you could prick him anywhere and he would bleed scripture. And I love that because this idea was he was so just in the word that it was, you know, beginning to, to, to take root. And, but it, took a long, it takes a long time for it to get in you like that before you know how to live it out and apply it in your life. Third, we, we could talk about this thing that we could simply call open doors. Um, this is where you do something stupid because God opened a door. Uh, nowhere in the Bible does it ever say anything about open doors and closed doors. Never does it say just because you could do something, you should do something. Um, sometimes there are several doors and, and none of them close and you got to pick one. Sometimes you have to knock on some doors and, and be, they're open to you. Uh, sometimes I like to think when God closes a door, he opens a target and you just go and browse the aisles and maybe just buy stuff you don't need because life is confusing and hard sometimes and you don't know what God wants you to do. But this idea of, of just because you could do something, you should do something, it's just nowhere in the Bible. I mean, Scripture, there, we, again, we've said in the series, there's a lot of gray in this life and a lot of us have a problem with that. We want things to be black and white. And Scripture, believe me, gives us things that are black and white. It's just when the Bible talks about God's will, it usually talks about it in two ways. It usually talks about it in one way we could call it simply what happens. Like I can tell you, you know, I had a doppio espresso at Starbucks before I came here because I needed a little kick. That was God's will for my life. I could not have told you, like, I didn't sit in my car and pray, Lord, oh, I need some coffee. Direct me. Do I go to... This Starbucks or that Starbucks, that's just not how it works. Like, we can say what God has done is his will. That's one way the, the Bible, when, when it says in verse 21 that many are the plans in the mind of a man, but the purpose, but it's the purpose of the Lord that will say, that's what it's saying. That God's purposes, this is the comforting part. That God's, God is so sovereign and in control that his purposes never fail, even in the face of evil, even in the face of the darkness of something like the cross. Acts 2 says to us, these evil men killed Jesus. And yet it was God's will to put Jesus to death for us. There's, there's a way that 
his purposes are always steadfast. The other way it talks about it is his will, we could call his will of, that's his will of decree, what happens. But then another way we could talk about it is his will of desire, what he wants for us. And that, in the Bible, over and over again, is what God is doing in your life. He's showing you what he want, the kind of person he wants you to be. And that he's made absolutely clear in Scripture, but that's not what we want. We want the third option, which is his will of direction. What are you going to do? What should I do? And that's the one that God almost tells us, don't worry about that as much. If you seek these, especially this middle one, what being the kind of person I want you to be, this last one is going to take care of itself. But there's some more pitfalls. Number four, the fourth pitfall is feelings of peace. This is where we do that thing where we wait until we feel a warm, fuzzy feeling of reassurance that we should indeed do the thing that we think God is telling us to do. But here's the thing. Like when you pick, just picture Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane as he's praying. He knows what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to go to the cross. But he prays, Lord, please take this cup from me. Do you think Jesus was experiencing a strong, warm, fuzzy sense of peace that night in the garden? Like, of course not. The Bible says he was sweating drops of blood. Sometimes the problem typically for us is it's not that we don't know what we should do. The problem is we lack the courage to do it. The problem is we don't have the strength or the courage to do the next right thing that we know God has clearly showed us or called us to do. Most of the time we don't need peace, we need courage. And this is the fifth one, the the fifth pitfall. And this one's a little bit harder. It's simply the God told me card. Uh, the God told me card is hard because it's the ultimate trump card. Like if I were to say to you tonight, God told me to say, break up with this person, you wouldn't, like, what would you say back to me? Or if I were to say, God told me you should take this internship in Charlotte. Like how, how do you, argue? it's a trump card, but it's a trump card that you and I should really never play because scripture never shows us having this direct access where God clearly speaks and shows. He, of course, he speaks to us through his word. Of course, he leads and speaks through his spirit, but it's always connected and based to his word. And sometimes we need to be careful. There's a, there's a way where maybe we should say, I sense that God is leading me here, or I sense that maybe God is saying this to me, but there always should be a humility when we, when we say something like God told me. I love the way that Kevin DeYoung says this in his little book. If you're looking for a little book, can't do everything in a sermon, but if you're looking for a little book that just nails this topic, it's Kevin DeYoung. His book is called Just Do Something. And here's what he says. He tells the story of uh, his, one of his roommates working up the courage to ask a girl out. And here's how he tells the story. He says, first he frames it. He says, we need to be careful that we aren't using, this is in your handout. We need to be careful that we aren't using God as the trump card in all our decisions. If we say God told me to do this or God's leading me here, this puts our decisions out of reach from criticism or concerns. We should choose some different terminology. I prayed about it and this seems best, or it seems like the Lord is leading would be a more helpful way of communicating our dependence on God. And I love this story. He says, I'll never forget my poor beleaguered roommate uh, talking with me after he took a risk and told a nice young lady that he liked her. It turned out she was not interested. But instead of just saying, I'm not interested, or I don't like you, or quit stalking me, she went all spiritual on him. I've been praying a lot about you, and the Holy Spirit told me no. Poor guy. He got rejected not only by this sweet girl, but by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> the third person of the Trinity took a break from pointing people to Jesus to tell this girl not to date my roommate. I didn't know that was in the Spirit's job description, but I bet at any Christian school or any Southern school, there are scores of men and women blaming God for their breakups. So I think when you think about these five pitfalls, maybe you relate to them, maybe you don't. But I think behind them are two things, two deeper truths that are really at the heart of the matter. Here's the first one, is we don't want to grow up. 
the reason you think about God's will the way you do is you don't want to take responsibility for your life. You don't want to be the kind of, you want to be the kind of person who knows the future. You don't want to be the kind of person who has to put in the years and years and years of discipline and obedience that makes you the kind of person who grows in wisdom. You don't want to be the kind of person who has to choose and do hard things or who has to honor your commitments that you've already, that you've chosen, that you've, that you've committed yourself to. Uh, you and I, if you're being honest, you know, we're, we're, we, we are afraid. We don't want to grow up because we're afraid if we make a decision. The word literally means to cut off. So, you know, for those of us with FOMO, making a decision is the worst thing in the world because it means we're dying to a hundred other things. When we commit to one thing or one person or one path, we're cutting off and killing this whole host of other things. And that takes, that takes guts. That takes courage to do that. To grow up and, and take responsibility for your choices. But the other thing, and this is the more deeply spiritual part, is that we don't want to have to trust God. It would be mu- The reason why we wish God would show us the future is because then we wouldn't have to trust him. Then we wouldn't have to follow him. Then we wouldn't have to sort of, sort of cling to him and say, Lord, even when I can't trace your hand, Spurgeon used to say, I know I can trust your heart. And I can trust what you have to say to me is good for me. What you have for me is good for me, even if I can't see it or can't know it. Um, the way I was thinking about it was my daughter, one of my daughters, she's about to be 11, and she is our most indecisive. And she's our most indecisive because she hates, she's a perfectionist, and she hates ever having the possibility of making a mistake. And so she's always done this thing, especially with Alyssa, where in the morning we're getting ready for school, uh, when if Alyssa does the thing where she says, here are two outfits, you pick one, she, like, melts down. She's like, we had this happen a couple weeks ago where it was like, she, you could tell she couldn't just pick one. And we kept, and it was beautiful to watch her and Alyssa power struggle because Alyssa was like, no, you pick. She was like, no, you pick for me. And the reason she wants mom or dad to pick for her is because she doesn't want to ever be wrong or choose wrongly. And I kept thinking, like, what if we get to freshman year of college and Jane Mack calls on the phone and is like, dad, uh, what should I wear today? It's the temperature is like 65. It's borderline. Do I wear shorts? Do I wear if I wear shorts? I can't wear these shoes. And I'm like, you know, can you, I, I like hang up? First of all, I probably wouldn't answer because I don't answer phone calls typically. Um, but she's terrified of making a mistake, and I think for a lot of you, that's really what drives a lot of your trouble with God's will or your anxiety about the future is you're terrified of making. A mistake, and part of me wants to say to you that the security you have as a Christian is that even your mistakes can't thwart the purposes of God in your life. That you're so secure in Christ that even even if you did make a mistake, so what? The gospel frees you up to make mistakes because your life is so secure in Jesus. And Jesus invites us to this what we could call humble boldness, where we're seeking Him, we're seeking wise counsel, but we also can boldly make a decision, even if it's the wrong decision, and, and follow and know that we're so cared for that our, our mistakes can't thwart his purposes. Well, so what do we do, though? So, all right, that's helpful, but is there any more advice? And this is the last thing I want you to see is working the process. Working the process is interesting. If you look again at verse 22, it, re- it reiterates what is desired is what? Not a man who knows the future, not a man who's 100% right about what God is going to do. What is desired is a man or a person of steadfast love. Again, who you're becoming but are there any practical takeaways about what kind of person you become as you any kind of helpful tools to make decisions? And I think there are a couple. Here's the first. I'm just going to try to be as practical as I can. Here's the first one. Uh, let God's word guide you as much as possible. 
again, God's word is not a fortune cookie. You're not going to find these little clues. But it is this place that guides you. It's a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. And so when you ask the question, what is God's will for me? Well, it would be interesting to turn to 1 Thessalonians where Paul says this, for this is the will of God for you, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. And he's, Paul is saying something pretty profound, that here's God's will for you, that you love Jesus more. And that you make every decision along, does this help or hurt me love Jesus more? Does this person I'm dating help me or hurt me love Jesus more? Does this career help me use my gifts in a way where I can love Jesus through it? Does this place have a place where as a church that loves Jesus? It sort of helps us direct how even to make a decision. Uh, it's letting his word guide us where it guides us in, in as much as possible. Too, we could say this like, like this, ask kingdom-oriented questions. Um, let's say you have two job offers. Again, one in Charlotte, one in Greenville. Uh, we typically ask questions like this. What does it pay? What are the benefits? Which city is more fun? But the better questions are, is there a church I can belong to, a good church I can belong to? Is there a community of people that love Jesus that I can belong to? Are there opportunities for me to use my gifts to serve the kingdom in this place? It begins to change the way we even look at jobs. Three, pray for wisdom. Many times there's not a right or wrong choice, but there is a wise or foolish choice. But sometimes there's neither of that. Sometimes it comes down simply to what do you want to do? That's why Augustine used to say, love God and do what you want. He wasn't saying, oh, it doesn't matter. What he was saying is if you're loving God, you're going to be so guided by that love, you're not going to make a bad choice. Um, And this is where wisdom is tricky, though. So for some of you, should, should you stay here and go to grad school, live at home, and save money? And for some of you, that's the wisest thing. But let's say you've got an incredibly broken, unhealthy family situation, and living at home is going to involve you being enmeshed with your family in ways that are terrible for you, then maybe the better choice is to go away somewhere and then work hard to pay off those loans in due time. Wisdom is a hard thing. Pray for wisdom. And then four, gather as much info as you can. Uh, what's the work environment like? Uh, you know, Where does this guy or girl see themselves long term? Where am I going to be? Where do I see myself long term? You know, information won't always help you make the decision, but wisdom definitely means being as well-informed as you possibly can. And then fifth, seek wise counsel. Uh, ask older people who, who know you and who love Jesus lots of questions. Do you see us together? Do you see me living here? Do you see me working this kind of job? You know, I, there's a way of doing this for, for my anxiety-filled people. There's a way of doing this where you're, you're really perpetuating not making a decision or wanting someone else to make the decision for you. Don't do that. Have the humility, though, to ask, but have the boldness to actually know that God has told you and asked you and empowered you to make the decision. I'll close with this. There was a um, – uh, my pastor used to tell a story of he loved – he was obsessed with mandolins. He was learning how to play the mandolin. And he found this uh, just craft mandolin maker in Hendersonville, North Carolina. And one day he had the opportunity to go up and visit this guy. And just basically the idea was to just see how he made mandolins. And he said it was this beautiful moment where he, he was, he's like, maybe this is a dumb, he's meeting with this craftsman. And he says, maybe this is a dumb question, but how do you make these intricate, beautiful, just quality mandolins that last forever and ever and ever And the guy said, his answer always stuck with him. He said, it's easy. I take a block of wood, a beautiful block of wood, and I carve away everything that's not a mandolin. And I've always loved that because I think when we come to think about God's will in our lives, (laughs) you want to know God's will for you? This is God's will for you. To carve away and to use every piece of your life, relationships, jobs, places, roommates, 
every piece of your life to shape you and to, to chip away and to mold you into the likeness of someone who loves him, into the likeness of his son. And the good news for that is, you know, Anne Lamott and her bird and her book, Bird by Bird, is one of my favorite books. She's got this great line where she says, if you are what you do and you fail, what then? And this is why some of you are paralyzed. If you are what you do and you fail, what then? But the good news for you and for me is we're not what we do. We are what Christ has done, and we belong to him. And because we belong to him, we have the freedom to fail. And we have the freedom to fail as we try to, to, to grow in wisdom and try to discern what it means to follow him and to, to live our lives for him. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would be the one who comes and continues to teach us, continues to free us, continues to shape us according to your word and according to the gospel. Lord, give us that freedom and the good news tonight. We pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen.